Why don't you bow your heads with us as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us the gift of your word. We're thankful that you've given us the gift of being able to gather together here with you this morning. So we ask that as we spend just a few moments on your on the message you have for us, that it would be something that shapes us, that transforms us, and that it would be something that each one of us needs to hear now. So we ask that you would silence all of the distractions in our minds, that you would help us to be present to your spirit now. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I want to begin by asking a question. Have any of you ever tried to have a conversation with someone in a noisy place? Is that easy or is it difficult to have a conversation with someone in a noisy place? It, it can be pretty difficult. I know every once in a while when I go to the gym later in the afternoon and I'm on the treadmill and it's around the time that Kara gets out of work, she usually calls me as she's walking out of the hospital. And a lot of the times when I'm on the gym, I'll answer because I want to be a good husband and I don't want to send her to voicemail. But one of the things that unavoidably happens is that she can't really hear anything that I'm saying. Because if you go to the gym, not only do you get the sound of the treadmill that you're on or, and the ones that are next to you and everything around you, you hear the clanking of the weights, and the music is always so loud in there. And so oftentimes, Carol's just say, okay, well, I'm headed home now. I'll see you when I get there because it is just too loud for her to be able to hear anything that I say. And that's what happens in our lives. We, we have this constant noise that it's going on all around us. And it's not just noise like audible stuff, but we have all of these distractions in our lives that like we don't even realize are going on. I mean, whenever you drive in the car, there is always countless drivers who are on their cell phones as they're driving. We often hear that parents of young children, the only quiet place that they can get in the house is where? In the bathroom. Yeah, we hear that all the time. We'll see. I'm going to need like a door in front of the door so they can't get, even get close. <laughs> Some of us like to have noise on in the background, and so we'll either listen to podcasts, audiobooks, music. Sometimes the television is our constant companion because we just like to have noise on in the background. And so much of the time, all of these things are just distractions taking us away from being present not only to ourselves, but to the people around us. And so I want to read this quote to you from a book that I've been reading, and it says this, Our world is filled with hustle and bustle. We reward busyness as if always working, striving, and achieving were the true marks of a well-lived life. And we elevate those who have given everything to gain success. To be tired is to be weak, and to be in need is to fail, to rest instead of work is to be lazy or selfish. And like this is how we kind of live our lives. We constantly want to be going. We constantly want to be doing things. We constantly feel that if we're not doing things, then we must not be worthy or we must not be valuable. And so we constantly have to keep doing things. And as human beings, we end up becoming human doings because we think that only by achieving and producing and doing something good are we valuable and in the process, we forget that we are actually human beings. And in the midst of all of these things in our lives, one of the spiritual disciplines that would benefit us most is to learn to pause, disconnect from all of these things that are causing us distraction, and learn to seek God in solitude. 
So I want to show you this um, picture. It's an ordinary house. looks kind of cool, perfectly situated. So the, the psychiatrist Carl Jung, or Jung, I don't know how you pronounce that, Jung. How? Jung, sorry. It is said that in order for him, he was a contemporary of Freud, so it kind of gives you a context of when he was alive. But it's said that one of the things that he realized is that he was constantly being bombarded by distractions and by what people needed all the time. And so he had this plan to build what they would call Bollingen Tower out in the countryside by a lake because he wanted a place where he could go and not be distracted because he knew how easily it is to be distracted. And so what we know is that he would wake up at 7 in the morning, eat a breakfast, then he would write for a couple of hours, he would then go for long walks in the quiet. They didn't have cell phones or Walkmans or Sony, like Discman, remember, where you could take those with you wherever you went. And he knew that the only way that he could truly find solitude, the only place that he could be distraction-free is if he intentionally and purposely went away from his daily life. He didn't have any electricity in this house, so the only light that he had was by candle. Can you imagine that? That means you'd have to go to sleep pretty early, right? Not only that, he had no central heating, so all the heating came from a wood fireplace. And so he purposely removed himself from the hustle and bustle of his life because he knew that otherwise he wouldn't be as effective and productive as he could be. And so there's another quote that I want to read to you. It says, There are fewer and fewer oases of silence in our noisy world. Communication has higher value for us than contemplation. Information is in greater demand than reflection. There was a time when only, and this book was written in 1998, so there was a time when only doctors wore pagers and the only person who carried a telephone was a president of the United States in case of nuclear attack. Like, we can't even fathom the world, what the world was like before cell phones. I mean, we can intellectually think back and be like, oh yeah, we remember But, like, it's become such a normal part of our lives that it's so hard to really know what that was like. But it says, now we are all that important, like the president. We can now be found anywhere at any time by anyone who needs us. And when a pager goes off in a room, or phone, you could say phone, goes off in a room full of people, a banner unfurls above the wearer's head. I am necessary. I am involved in something so urgent. It cannot wait. Like, that's the world we live in. We live in a world, and I love how it says, we prefer communication. We give communication a higher value, like being constantly connected, than contemplation. You know, there is no, it's obvious why people have so much anxiety, so much stress, because we're constantly connected to things, constantly being distracted, and we are not giving ourselves enough time to pause and disconnect from all of that in order for us to enter into solitude with God. I was reading a statistic that the average American will look at their cell phone on average 80 times per day. That sounds like a lot, right? But I feel like if we were to like really count how many times, and I know like some phones now have this capacity to say how many hours a day you spend on your device. Did you know that? That's like the scariest thing to look at. But it's become such a normal part of us. It's almost like an extension of ourselves And without knowing it, we constantly seek for this distraction. And so I want to look at this verse, this passage that Martha read for us. It says, Now Moses used to take, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from their camp. He called it the tent of meeting, literally the tent 
of meeting by appointment. So you, it's like, it was like a place where you had to make an appointment to go to. You had to be intentional and premeditated about going to this tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them, at the entrance of their tents and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend, so the presence of God, and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, how many times can we say tent? <laughs> I'm starting to like, it's like, you know, when you start saying a word so much, you forget like what you're saying. All the people would rise and bow down, all of them at the entrance of this tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So this is like this, like this story. If you were to read this chapter in the book of Exodus, like Moses was having this heart-to-heart with God, and he basically, God had said, look, because you keep messing up, like I, I'm only going to go, like Moses, you're only going to go so far. And there was this like constant tension in the Old Testament where it was like God was present with the Israelites, and yet at the same time, God was like, but I'm going to pull myself away because you guys keep obviously not wanting to be in relationship with me. And it was never that God pulled himself away to punish, but it was often that God says it's because of the actions. It's how you're living your life. It's how you're constantly seeking after other things. It's the reason that you don't feel my presence because you are the ones who are choosing to be far away from me. And so in this chapter in the book of Exodus, God has basically already told Moses, like, look, Moses, like, you're probably not going to get into the promised land because of the disobedience. Like, Moses had made this deal with God, and he broke this deal with God. And so God's like, I will take these people in, Moses, but unfortunately, you're not going to make it. And we remember this iconic scene in the Bible where, Mo- where God takes Moses up to the mountaintop, and they see the promised land, and, and God says, do you see it? Like, your people, you've led them this far, but you're not going to be able to go. And like, I think for most of us, if we were to get this message from God where God says like, look, you're only going to get this far, most of us would give up. Most of us would say, well, God, like, what's the point of me even doing more if you're not going to like help me get to that place where you promised that I would get to? But Moses knew that the life of faith isn't just about the destination. The life of faith is about the process as you get to that destination. You see, a true life of faith is one where you are in connection and in relationship with God. But in a world where there is so much noise and we are so heavily distracted and even we have passions and desires that try to lead us away from God, it is important for us as people of faith to learn to distance ourselves from all of those distractions, all of that noise, and learn to seek God in solitude. We need to learn to seek God where our phones are turned off or far away, the television is off, everything is off, and we can just learn to be in the presence of God. And so we see this story, and Moses could have given up, but instead Moses continues because he knew that his relationship to God was worth it even if he didn't get into the promised land. Like, think about that. His relationship with God And the thing to which God had called him to do, which was to lead his people, was more important than the end product. You know, so many times for us in life, we just want to get to that end product. And I think for Christians, we think that that end product is just heaven, and that's going to be great. But God's like, don't miss out on the process of faith while you're here on earth. And so in this story, we see that Moses takes this tent and he puts it outside of the camp. 
Do you know why he put it outside of camp? I have a few ideas. I think that if Moses had set the tent in the midst of the camp with all the other tents, it would be too easy to be distracted. If God put the tent of meeting in the midst of all the other people, it would be really easy for people not to think that this place where they would go to meet with God was all that important, and they would just kind of avoid it. It's like when you get so used to seeing something, it stops being special, or you forget that it's there. So Moses takes this tent, and he puts it as far away from the camp as possible. And the Bible writers say that it's the tent of meeting. It's the tent where, in a sense, the literal translation of the Hebrew is the tent of meeting by appointment. And so you had to make an appointment. You had to be premeditated in your desire to go outside of the daily hustle and bustle of life so that you could be in the presence of God. And what's so powerful about this is that Moses, the way the Bible writers use words is so important. So that part in the la- that last part of the text that it says that Moses spoke to God face to face. It wasn't necessarily, in the ancient Hebrew um, spiritual writers and the rabbis would say, it, maybe it wasn't that God was necessarily there face to face with God because constantly in the Bible we see that you cannot see God face to face and live and, and Moses would veil his face. So on the one hand, it could be that Moses spoke to God face to face. But the ancient Hebrew writers would say that when you say that, when they say that God spoke to Moses face to face, what it's really saying is that they were, that there was intimacy, vulnerability, transparency, and it's the kind of word and phrase that was used when people had a friendship and a relationship with each other. And so what we find for Moses as he goes out into the tent of meeting is that he was going out in a place clear of all distractions so that he could be in the presence of his friend. He could be in the presence of the God who would speak to him, but only if there was silence and solitude. I think this lesson is really important for us today. We have so much access to so many things in our lives. Oftentimes, we're the ones that are seeking after all of these things, but God is saying, remember the tent of meeting Remember that you need to get outside of that daily hustle and bustle because you can only truly hear my voice when there is silence. In this book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, and it's not just for leaders, so I want you to hear this quote. It says, Moses did not seem to have any great strategies for his leadership except to seek God in solitude and then carry out what God had revealed to him there. You know, whenever we want to hear the voice of God or the will of God, oftentimes we think that it has to be this big, glorious, and miraculous thing. But what we find in the Scripture and what we find especially in the story of Moses is that Moses' most important priority was being in the presence of God. And then whatever God asked him to do, he trusted because he had that relationship with God. And I have a feeling that even though our lives may be difficult, And although you may be going through things in your life, we can see that Moses probably had way worse things going on in his life. And he chose to listen to the voice of God. But he couldn't have done this if he didn't go into this time where it was just him and God. This next passage says, Solitude and silence in particular enable us to experience a place of authenticity within us, and to invite God to meet us there. 
In solitude, we are rescued from the relentless human striving to solve the challenges of our lives through our own power and intellect so that we can experience the life of the Spirit guiding toward the true way of God. Silence, solitude is the way for us to connect with God that is so meaningful. That's why you often hear preachers and teachers and pastors say things like, you got to start your day off early and you have to start it with God because it's in those moments of silence where we can truly hear the voice of God. But it's really hard for us because oftentimes when we come to prayer, the way we're taught to pray is that you just have to talk to God and say a bunch of words and just continue to tell God what you need. And oftentimes we even tell God what we need and then we try to persuade or we give suggestions to God that we would like things to go a certain way But rarely, if ever, do we stop to listen, perhaps, to the Spirit of God in our lives. And I'll tell you, I've never actually heard the voice of God. But I can always tell you that in these moments of solitude and in these moments of silence in my life, there is this sense of knowing that the Holy Spirit, and the Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 8, and I think I have it on this. But sometimes when we don't know what to pray, The Holy Spirit prays on your behalf, and the Bible says, with groans too deep for words. Because the Spirit searches your heart and makes known your heart to God. So oftentimes we think we have to say words to God, but I got to tell you that some of the most rewarding times of prayer in my life have been when I don't say anything at all, and I just acknowledge that I am in the presence of God. And we have these examples the Bible teaches us that Moses, when he would go out to Mount, on Mount Oreb, that he would stand in the place and in the presence of God, and God would speak to him, and then Moses would come down from the mountain, and he would give the Ten Commandments or whatever message it was. Moses would go into the tent of meeting far away from all the worries of his life so that he could be in the presence of God. The prophet Elijah in the Old Testament sees that as he was literally running for his life, They wanted to kill him. He comes to this place and he thinks that God is in the wind and the fire and the rain and all this storm. And God says, I'm not in any of the things where you think I'm going to be. I'm in the still, small voice. We have to learn the spiritual practice of disconnecting from everything to truly be able to hear the Spirit of God. And it's not just Elijah, it was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he goes, the night that he is arrested, Jesus goes into this garden, he is struggling, he is worried, he asks God if, 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 if what was about to happen, him being crucified, if there was any other way that it could happen, may it happen, and then there is this kind of silence. And God says, what, Jesus says, whatever your will is, Father, then let it be. But there was this silence in the garden I mean, we even come to the story of Paul and Paul's conversion. And, the, and Paul, you know, Paul goes blind for a day. And it's like the silence of blindness where he couldn't be distracted by going after other people. He couldn't be worried about any other thing. All he could be present to was this silence of darkness in his life. And it was only then that he could then listen to the nudgings of the Spirit of God. So I want to share another passage with you that is not in my PowerPoints. So if you would open to Matthew chapter 6, or you can just listen. Matthew chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And again, we're keeping with this theme of solitude and silence and getting away from the distractions of life in order to truly be in the presence of God. And I'm not saying that God's not present everywhere we go because I say that every Saturday morning. But what I'm saying is that sometimes we need to be able to disconnect from everything to truly be in the presence of God. But here's what Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 5 of Matthew. Jesus says, And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. In other words, people think they're holy because they're doing holy things in public. That's their reward, which is not a reward at all. Verse 6, But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. I just want to stop there for a second. Jesus says, Whenever you pray, go into the secret room so you can speak to the Father who is in secret, which was Jesus' way of saying, your relationship with God can only be forged by you and God. Now, if you're married, if you're in a relationship, like you can do couples things together and pray together and read scripture together and read your devotionals and go to church together. All of those are really great things. But your spouse cannot have a relationship with God for you. You are the only one who can have this relationship with God. And it begins, as Jesus says, in that secret room, which is not a real room. It's just get away from all of the things that distract you. Get away from all of the things that are pulling your attention away from God and enter into whatever that place is where you can then be fully present to God. There's a, there's a quote that says, the strength, of your, the strength of your soul is forged in your private encounters with God alone and far away from the distractions of life. I feel like if you were going to tweet anything, you could tweet this one. I wrote that one. Ha. But the strength of your soul is forged in your private encounters with God, alone and far away from the distractions of life. And I want to read that verse in Romans chapter 8 that I said, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the very Spirit of God intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God searches the heart. And God who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Think about that. So much is at your disposal if only you would be willing to seek God in the solitude. And we see this in the Bible too. Jesus, if like, and if nothing else, if we use the example of Jesus, it's like six times, one, two, three, four, five, six times that I noted in the Gospels that it tells us that Jesus would go away from the people and enter into this time of prayer and solitude with just him and God. And we don't know what happened in those moments other than the fact that Jesus had disconnected from everyone. And Jesus was in high demand. Jesus was important. People were constantly wanting Jesus to do something for them. And Jesus takes the time. And I think one of the most iconic times that Jesus does this, after Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water. And what is the first thing that Luke tells us that happens to Jesus right after his baptism? 
He goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and it says that he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And it was during those times that he was, att he was attacked by the devil. Temptation arose, but Jesus knew that the only true way to be connected to God if he was far away from everything and fully connected to the Father. In Mark 6, when Jesus sends out his disciples to do ministry, when they return, and look this up in Mark 6, not right now, but when you go home in Mark 6, when his disciples come back from healing, from preaching, from evangelizing, from doing all these amazing things, when he comes back, Jesus has to stop them from sharing everything that they did. To, like, he stops them from, from them telling him everything they did, and he says, now go and separate yourself from the people so that you can, in a sense, recharge and reconnect with God. So Jesus understands the need for us to disconnect. The Bible tells us in Matthew 14 that after Jesus learns about John the Baptist's death, when he was beheaded, he went away by himself because we see that even the Son of God grieves. Early in his ministry, Jesus spent a whole night alone in prayer the day that he chooses which 12 were going to be his disciples. In the Garden of Gethsemane on the night when Jesus had to, in a sense, and I think in his most human form, had to literally carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. He was literally going to go into the hardest thing that Jesus would ever have to do, which is ultimately a death on the cross. Jesus goes into a quiet time and into solitude so that he could be in the presence of God. So do I have to keep convincing us of the importance of disconnecting and being in the presence of God. Most of what happens in solitude is happening under the surface of your lives, and God is doing it. Just as most of what happens in the ocean is under the surface, and most of what's happening to a seed in winter is under the earth, so the most important stuff that is happening to the human soul in solitude is happening under the surface where only God knows about it. And when we really stop to think about this gift that God is giving us, God invites us into this place of silence and solitude so that we can truly learn to not only be in His presence, but to learn to listen. And so I'd like to encourage you, and I try to encourage people to do this all the time, but I'd like to encourage you to, to learn to go into these moments of, of prayer where you don't have to necessarily say anything. And I know it's hard. It's one of the things I try to do every single morning before I start my day. I set a timer and I sit there and I just try to think of Jesus. I try to sometimes picture like this flame of, like not flame of fire, but like this pillar of fire as God was in the Old Testament. And I just kind of think to myself, God, I'm in your presence. And what ends up happening in those first few minutes of the day, I, I realize that this world, this life, the things I do isn't about me but it's about what God is asking me to do in this world. And there is a sense of peace before the, the busyness of the day happens, knowing that God is with me and God will go with me, as the Bible says, and His presence will go with us wherever we go. But we can't have that deep relationship with God if we're constantly being distracted by so many other things. And so I want to begin with this last little illustration. It's about the law of gravity. If you've ever, if you've ever, and, and I love how, Ariana, can I see your little water bottle? We did not plan this, but I thought this was so awesome. So, 
there's a law of gravity that tells us that anything will eventually fall, right? Everything will eventually settle. That's what gravity does. It pulls everything down. So if you were to picture this as like a body of water and there was dirt or mud in there, eventually over time, if there's mud that's whirling around, what ends up happening? The, the mud will eventually settle. That's what happens when you go into solitude with God. It's really hard to go into these silent moments in this presence of God because we're worried about so many things. I know that my mind is constantly going and it is so difficult for me to just try to sit there and be in the presence of God because I remember I got to return this email or I have to do this when I get to the office or I have to make sure that I send this thing in the mail and all this so much that's going on. But the, the law of gravity, just like muddy water will eventually settle, if you practice this quiet time in solitude with God, eventually all those other things that you're worried about will settle and you'll be able to be fully present to the Spirit of God that is in your midst. And we know that God will go everywhere with us. We know that God's presence is with us wherever we go. But how much more meaningful and beautiful and wonderful is it if we learn the secret, not the secret, but if we learn the spiritual practice of stopping everything else and entering into the presence of God.